Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Today, I know I'm going to be having a serious case of wanderlust as we have my colleague Nadine from 10 Adventures back on the podcast, and she's going to share some of the best places to travel this summer. Uh, Hi, Nadine. How's it going? Hey, Richard. It's going well. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good, and I love these seasonal podcasts because, uh, you know, it just kind of inspires me with all these different ideas of places I want to go, and I'm sure by the end I'll have you know, planned in my mind a dozen different trips. <laughs> Absolutely. Although I can't, I, my sum, my summer's already planned, so it'll be I'll be thinking for summer twenty twenty four. But uh, I want to start with, you know, what makes summer such a special time for people to travel, in your opinion? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there are different trips that are ideal for traveling in every season. I think summer. I mean, it's my absolute favorite season um, to travel in. I mean, here in North America, it means a break from the snow. Everything comes alive. Everyone's smiling. Happy, happy, happy. Um, and I think most, many of my most cherished um, summer memories have been spent traveling. It's a, it's a really special time for several reasons. Obviously, there's longer daylight hours, which means maximized um, opportunity for adventures during the day. The weather is idyllic. Sunshine comes out. Um, in some cases, this can mean extreme heat, but when it's nice and balmy, that's great. Full bloom, it's when we see the most vibrant colors. Landscapes are at their absolute best. And another kind of cool thing about summer is it's when a lot of events take place. So in summer, we get festivals, markets, cultural celebrations. All of these are really incredible um, opportunities to take in while traveling and kind of makes summer a special season. Yeah, it's also fun just, you know, as a child and now as a, a parent, it's kind of the time where the whole family can come and, you know, have weekend getaways or have a big trip without missing school. And you're right, it's the time when as you're a kid, you make make your best memories because you have, you know, mom and dad available for you to uh, to spend, you know, a week somewhere you've never been before. Exactly. Yeah, it is a really special time, especially for families and couples where maybe instead of taking a shorter break, they have the time to take a longer break. It's when most people take their most extended vacations. um, And it does have this carefree feel to it. You know, you kind of leave everything behind and you just go and enjoy summer for what it is. And I think that's a really cool aspect. Uh, I love the way you said carefree. When you said that, I actually just kind of felt like losing a bit of stress it was so weird (laughs) yeah because I just was like oh yeah it's like you know yes it's a magical time emails will (laughs) you know who cares about emails who cares about work let's just go and get in the car or get in a plane and go somewhere great let your hair down that's it that is what summer is all about and I think that's why so many people get excited especially for their summer trips I know some people who you know they look at summer as being a really challenging period to travel and they kind of they always you know the glass uh the glass is half empty uh but some of their comments about some of the downsides of summer are legitimate i think and so you know what's your view on you know people that say oh you know there's a lot of downsides what are the downsides that that some people say about summer travel Yeah, that's a great question. And we've all heard it. Um, I think the good thing about the downsides for summer travel is there are ways to counter all of these downsides, depending on which downside applies to you. um, We've got some ways that can help counter those. So I think one of the most obvious would be summer heat. Um, A lot of destinations summer is when the temperatures are the highest. Obviously, if you're looking to get outside doing hiking and biking, that can be challenging in certain destinations. Um, Another aspect of that would be the crowds, right? And in popular summer destinations, you're going to have to deal with a lot more tourists than you normally would, perhaps if you were traveling in the shoulder season. Kids are out of school. um, So maybe if you're not traveling as a family, you might not want to be somewhere that's infiltrated with a bunch of, you know, excited young children running around around. And another thing is, yeah, summer can be expensive, right? A lot of um, hotel suppliers and that type of thing hike their prices in summer. And I think overall, those are those are the main counters that are, or the main downsides that I typically hear. Do you have any others that you can think of? No, you know, th- those are pretty good. I still remember a friend of mine who he took his family to uh, to Disney in Florida one, you know, one July. 
and yeah, his oh boy, <laughs> it was it was it was jammed. It was expensive, but it was also like you know, a hundred and five Fahrenheit with a hundred percent humidity. And he said, yeah, that was a, a once in a lifetime trip because it was like, <laughs> for many reasons, was, no doubt. Yeah, It was, it was, <laughs> you know, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. And, uh, they, they didn't have fun because it was just too crowded, too hot. Um, and they're like, why, why did we leave Canada in summer to go to like, you know, the center of the earth almost. Uh, but it's sometimes, sometimes we do that, you know, we, when we have our vacation, we we think, oh, I want to go to this place, not recognizing that, you know, maybe maybe that's not the best time to go to that place. And I know there's parts of Europe where I'm always like, why are like my parents went on a cruise in, in uh, Italy and Greece years ago. And yeah, every day they'd get off the cruise and, you know, they would be drenched in sweat and they couldn't see anything. They said, oh, yeah, no, it's we, you know, some days we didn't even go like they didn't explore like some Greek ruins one day because it was too hot. And you think, oh, no just too hot yeah that's it that's it it's it's I mean I think that what it really comes down to is planning ahead and making an informed decision about where you're going to travel during the summer how you're going to travel and being prepared I guess for what to expect in a place so I think like I said there are many counters um, to the specific downsides we've covered or potential downsides of traveling in summer. Um, A big one is to book in advance. So this really comes into play if you're looking to do an iconic summer trip. We're going to talk about a few of those in terms of hiking in Europe. If you're looking to do an iconic summer trip, make sure you're not leaving it to the last minute to book. I mean, you and I both know we have a ton of people that maybe reach out and April and May, June, they want to book the Tour de Mont Blanc for July. And I always say, you know, it's a really good idea to start thinking about that the autumn or early winter before. Another thing uh, you can do is if you don't enjoy the heat, we've talked about how the heat can be really oppressive in some summer destinations, then escape to the mountains where it's cooler. There are a ton of trips that are active that unfold at higher elevations. And in many places that can give you some reprieve from the heat. Um, I think uh, a balance of leisure and activity is also really a good thing to think about. If you're looking to do a trip um, that's active in a very hot summer destination, then maybe don't choose a trip where you're going to be hiking for eight hours. Maybe choose a an, an easy kind of leisurely um, walking tour where it's just two or three hours that you can get done in the morning on the trails and then balance that with a day of leisure whether it be cultural sightseeing or that type of thing Um, getting off the beaten path summer is a perfect time to discover hidden jewels and lesser known places again countering those crowds Um, we actually have an article on 10 adventures 10 tips to tackle summer travel and it lists a bunch of counter um, you know ways to counter the the potential downsides of um, summer travel. So we have listed there smaller towns, slower travel, again, not trying to do too much active um, stuff during the day when it's really hot. Uh, And another one that's really key that we're going to tap into a little uh, further down the road is head south to avoid the heat. So countries in the southern hemisphere, you know, such as Argentina, Chile, Australia, uh, as we know, the seasons are reversed. So why not during our summer head to another country where it's winter? Um, you know, respectively, winter is not as severe as it is here in North America, right, during during their winter. So that's another great idea, too. But there's lots of ways, although there are some things that people could say are negatives about traveling in summer. There's always ways to counter that. And I think it boils down to planning ahead. You know, one thing that's really interesting is is having lived in Argentina uh, in in their kind of late winter, early spring, it's not as warm as you'd think it would be. It was chilly at night, but if you look at what's happening in summer here in North America and Europe with wildfires, yeah, it's it's now a thing where it's like, oh yeah, I don't want to deal with wildfires. I'll put up with you know twelve C fourteen, you know Celsius days and explore in the off season down there just because you know there's not going to be any fires to deal with. Where I actually hadn't thought of that, but that's a uh, you know, an option of getting away from the crowds, getting away from the smoke. And yeah, you're wearing, you know, longer, you know, long trousers and taking a coat. But uh, it's a good time to explore the cities down there, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a safe choice, like you said. And um, I think that it's, yeah, like you said, not something that everyone thinks of on the top of their head, but it's definitely something to consider if you're looking to kind of do something different for your summer trip. And the other thing also, as I always find, is in summer, you just got to go with the flow. 
You know, you show up somewhere and, you know, they don't have your, even though you've got a printout with your hotel, you know, reservation from the hotel, you know, they don't have your room. Or, you got to you know, cut people some slack in summer. Everyone's kind of just going with the flow. Yeah, you got to go with the flow because everything, you know, especially in, you know, parts of Europe here in, in Western Canada, in the mountains, in the, in the coast, everything's at full capacity. So if any little hiccup happens, if someone doesn't come into work, if, you know, there's a, a room that can't be be operated, there, there's no capacity. And so uh, sometimes I see people yelling at, you know, at the front desk, yelling at, uh, you know, the check-in person at the airline. And it's, that's not going to help. It's, you know, this is just summer. Everything's full. You got to just kind of be flexible. That's a great public service announcement to all our <laughs> listeners out there this summer. Be kind. You know, people are uh, just trying to make it all work. And like you said, when it's when it's so busy and people are at max or com- hotels are at max capacity, that can be challenging. So that's great. That's a really good point. So let's start with some of the iconic summer hiking trips in Europe because this is what everyone seems to to want to do right now. Uh, it just seems so popular. It's getting every year more and more popular. Um, let's let's talk about what some of these are. Yeah, this is a this is one I'm looking forward to sharing on. Is again um, with this with these trips in particular, these summer hiking trips in Europe. These are trips that you're going to want to start thinking about booking the autumn before. So for summer of 2024. If you're planning on booking any of these trips, start to think about this um, in autumn of this year to make sure that you don't miss out. Um, one thing that a lot of these uh, that I'm going to talk about have in common is, you know, limited availability and accommodations. So a lot of these are hut-based trips where they don't have, you know, 300, 400 hotel rooms that they can accommodate a large number of guests on a given night. And so... Um, yeah, it's, it's just important to start thinking about these in advance if you want to do these iconic trips. So I think the most iconic, um, and it's been one of our most popular trips for guests at 10 Adventures in, in recent years, is the Tour de Mont Blanc. So that's a trekking tour that covers France, Italy, and Switzerland. Every single season, this trip does book up. And I know a lot of our local partners, they start sending what we call stop sales out, usually around January, February, um, when everything is full and availability becomes really challenging. So if you want to hike the Tour de Mont Blanc, there's a ton of different options, whether you want to do the complete route over 11 days, whether you want to do a highlights tour over seven days, whether you want to stay in hotels or dormitories and mountain huts guided or self-guided there are a ton of options but they all fill up so it's a really good one to start thinking about in advance Another one is the Lagavager Trail in Iceland. Again, this is a hut-to-hut trek, um, and every season, the huts fill up. So if you are thinking about um, doing a really cool, iconic trek in the highlands of Iceland, then um, it's a good one to start thinking about the autumn before. Hiking Hut to Hut in the Dolomites of Italy is another one. Now, there are quite a few different areas of the Dolomites, so it's not as limited as, say, the Lagavager Trail, but again, I'd say... It's one of Italy's, if not Italy's most popular hiking destination. Um, And so availability does become challenging in the Dolomites as well. Uh, Walking the Camino de Santiago in Spain and and, and parts of the trail also unfold in Portugal. That's one to start thinking about. And a really popular summer destination um, that we've seen a lot of guests requesting, a lot in spring, but also a lot in summer, is the Amalfi Coast of Italy. So if you're looking to bike or hike on the Amalfi Coast, beyond just the you know active traveler that's looking to go there, you have to think about all of the Italian tourists that are going there, all of the international tourists that are going there for a beach holiday or whatever it may be. It's just a ton of people looking to um, experience that beautiful part of Italy. And so I always say, if you're if you're looking at that part of Italy specifically, plan ahead <laughs> all those trips are incredible and and i recall a couple of years ago or maybe it was a lot must have been last year i guess uh helping a family friend who they wanted to go to the dolomites and they said well there's no availability on booking for hotels in any of the going to go a few days in august i said there's it's massive it's like hundreds you know a couple hundred kilometers wide i think 100 kilometers north to south and it's like there's dozens of villages there's got to be something and i i went on booking and it was like 99% full and actually we couldn't get kind of three nights in a row and I'm, I was like I was blown away that it's you know the size of like a small country and everything was booked up in August and so 
you know, you just realize how popular the Dolomites are with all that accommodation. It it can't can't do it. The other trips you mentioned, like you know, Lagavuga or the Tour de Mont Blanc, it makes more sense because you're staying in these little tiny mountain huts that can only you know fit a hundred or two hundred people, which yeah, like that's easy to sell out. But it is crazy when you see the Dolomites as a whole sell out uh, for extended extended uh, uh, stays, and it's it's for a reason. All these are just achingly beautiful you go there like i totally get why this is so popular it's you know no one ever says oh it wasn't as good as i expected these are just stunning places you have to go there at some point as you said you just got to plan ahead so like i actually my family we're actually planning the tour de mont blanc for next year and we're already we're already talking about it because i like i know it's like to get the right uh accommodations to be in the mountain huts at the right places we have to be ready to go as soon as they open for reservations. That's it. And that's a really good point. It's uh, it's a, a common case where, you know, someone may want to book the Tour de Mont Blanc or um, hiking in the Dolomites and they might be set on, you know, private accommodations, hotels. But by the time they come around to book, maybe only dormitory is available. So that's another great point. If you're looking to book a trip with a specific accommodation type and you don't have flexibility around that, definitely start thinking about it in advance because you want to get the first choice of accommodations to make sure that it's exactly what you're looking for. So so one option for those trips uh, is, you know, to start planning for summer 2024 right now. So coming into autumn when everyone goes back to school, you're ready to get your flights and, you know, get, get the tours booked. Uh, are there other things that you suggest for people that are looking that they want to do one of those trips this summer? Yeah, absolutely. And so if you're kind of scratching your head and it's June and you're thinking, darn, I've missed the boat for booking the Tour de Mont Blanc or hiking in the Dolomites, but I really want to do something spectacular in Europe. Of course, that's one of the things we talked about a little bit earlier to counter those really popular places that you may have missed out on booking for this year. There are also a ton of really stunning off the beaten paths hiking destinations in Europe as well where not only are you going to be hiking somewhere super special but you're also going to beat the crowds in these destinations so I've kind of picked three that or four actually that um, we've seen guests booking Um, and these are kind of my go-to's when I know someone wants to take in some really stunning scenery um, and they're looking to kind of get off the beaten path and maybe they've left booking to a little bit closer to summer than they would have liked to um, but there's answers so um, the first is and I think this is just, yeah, soaring in popularity in terms of our guests. Um, we've ha- got a ton of guests booked on um, hiking trips here for the summer and still tons of inquiries pouring in. Um, Triglav National Park in Slovenia's Julian Alps. So we all know the Italian Alps. We all know the French Alps. But the Julian Alps of Slovenia um, are absolutely stunning as well. And again, you're really able to beat the crowds there. You've got you know, stunning lakes, waterfalls, gorges, really, really incredible flora and fauna in this area. And on top of that, they've got a really excellent network of huts in really picturesque, um, unique locations. I was actually just sending one of our upcoming guests some photos of the huts he'll be staying in. And I was just blown away, like right out of a fairy tale, sort of like um, postcard, Uh, just green, lush, wild flowers, really, really rustic, um, cute little huts that you can spend the night in while hiking. Um, For adventure seekers here as well, you're able to summit Mount Triglav. There's a Via Ferrata network that actually leads up to the summit. It's the highest mountain in Slovenia. You can do that on a self-guided basis or with a guide. So whether you're kind of looking to do, you know, leisurely hut-to-hut hiking or day hikes um, or a summit climb to the top of Mount Triglav, there's a ton of options in Triglav National Park. And I can't recommend it highly enough. I know a lot of our guests are super excited about traveling there this summer. Uh, I love I love the sound of that, and that is actually one of my bucket list uh, destinations because Triglav is like the southern reaches of the Italian Dolomites. So you have the you know those beautiful you know limestone mountains that are just stunning, combined with you know all this variety in Slovenia with like a slightly different food culture. Yes, um, that too. And then just like just it's just everything's just a little bit different. So what I've always been told is if you've been used to, you know, the French Alps or, you know, being in Italy or Switzerland, you know, Slovenia is just just different enough to kind of make it all new again, which is super interesting. Yeah, exactly. That's it. So for guests that have trekked in the Alps in the, you know, 
more popular Alps, it is a really good way to kind of experience um, a type of trip that you love, but with a different spin on it to kind of make it unique. Um, another one, and I know that you're really fond of this destination, Richard, uh, the Vanois National Park. Vanois. Yeah, Vanois is... Vanois. I don't know why yeah. people, you know, it's, it is at least as beautiful as the area around Chamonix, but you could make a make a case it's it's more beautiful, but it's just a bit harder to get to. You know, it takes an extra maybe an hour to get to the start. But yeah, it's always like as soon as you leave the Tour de Mont Blanc circuit, you lose like 90% of the people as you go farther south. It's You can still have this kind of like experience in nature. Um, and why not? I think I heard you describe it as underrated once. Yep, you mentioned yep. that you thought it was a really underrated destination. Um, so again, you know, looking to beat the crowds, an authentic French Alpine experience. It doesn't have to be one of those um, iconic trips that everybody's booking. It can be something different, uh, something a little bit quieter um, and a really unique experience. Um, I've read that they even have ruins there, La Tura in Vanoise National Park. So for, for history buffs, that's another added uh, benefit of visiting uh, this area. Yeah, definitely. Another one, um, again, a really popular destination for our guests uh, is the Picos de Europa of northern Spain. This is actually Spain's first ever national park. It was established in 1918. It hosts a, a variety of landscapes, winding mountain paths, rocky ridges, crystal clear lakes, really dense, gorgeous forests. Um, and then, of course, you've got some really cool, authentic rural villages um, in the provinces of Asturia and Cantabria. So a great mix in the Picos of some really, really great hiking, um, but also cultural. So gastronomy is going to be really special in these kind of authentic villages as well. Another thing to note, actually, I was just speaking with a guest yesterday who's looking to do something cool with her kids. They're 10 and 11 years old. Um, and she's actually thinking of booking a family adventure in the Picos de Europa. A national park which is really cool we offer a, a family trip of six days there and so uh, you do some walking some biking some ex I think you go to a dairy farm so Picos is really a good uh, area to think about for the whole family whether you're looking to hike as adults or bring some kids along it's a really cool spot also known for their artisanal cheese Ooh, which is I a big that. plus yeah, for me yeah yeah <laughs> that sounds great that's a big one for me yeah um, and then another off the beaten path mountain trip in Europe. Uh, we had some guests uh, complete this trip last year. It's hiking in Georgia's Caucasus Mountains. Uh, obviously, really, really unique in terms of a destination. You've got hilltop monasteries, you've got wineries, fortresses, villages. So anyone who's really looking to blend some incredible natural scenery with um, history as well and, you know, cultural sightseeing, I, I'd say this is a great destination. You can um, do some awesome kind of blended hiking and cultural sightseeing tours. You get a little bit of bo uh, both. Hiking here is easygoing to moderate. So, you know, whether you're a beginner or you're looking to do something a little bit more stren strenuous, there's a trip for all, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Georgia just looks like such an incredible destination. We actually had a, a, a lead guide on, oh, probably two months ago talking about Georgia and uh, in researching the discussion, I was looking at the photos and it is this stunning, you know, traditional mountain environment, but then they've got history going back thousands of years. And, and then there's, there's like not many people there. So it's like, it's not like European history where there's, you know, really developed paths and lots of people. It's, it's typically you and your guide and you're staying in like homestays because there's not that much infrastructure. And I thought, oh, what an incredible place to explore. Yeah, and our guests who were there last summer just had amazing things to say about this trip. And again, yeah, they really said they felt like they were at the end of the world, so to speak, sort of at a really kind of just a, a jewel um, in the middle of what felt like in the middle of nowhere. And I think also in, in those places, you really do feel special as a traveler because there's not hordes of tourists milling about. And so you kind of feel like, wow, I'm, I'm exploring this undiscovered place and it's all new and and unspoiled, I would say. So Nadine, these are some incredible hiking destinations. Uh, I know lots of people are getting into cycling and it's like seems every week I see another friend posting or, you know, uh, sharing they've started bike touring and they're almost all starting to do e-biking. But it, it seems at least within my social group, 
it's exploding. I know, you know, uh, I hear from you every week. It's exploding. Lots of people are doing their first ever like bike tour now that they don't have to worry about pedaling themselves for, you know, 30 to 80 kilometers a day. But what are some of the great cycling destinations in Europe? Yeah, that's that's a great point and I completely agree. It's rising in popularity and, and just seems a lot more accessible for people who perhaps are not hardcore cyclists at home, but they do see the merit in exploring a destination on two wheels. You can see so much more. You can hop off your bike whenever you want. And e-bikes, which are now really, really popular, I think for almost all of our tours, there's an option to upgrade to an e-bike. Um, it does make it a lot more accessible for just about anyone who wants to ride. Um, so for those looking to explore uh, Europe on two wheels instead of on foot, I have some some really cool summer biking destinations to share with you. The first is Ireland. So although Ireland's weather can be unpredictable, summer generally, of course, brings milder temperatures than what they're used to. So um, with averages ranging from around 15 degrees to 20 degrees um, during the summer months, it's a great option for those that are, you know, looking again to beat the heat and not ride in really extreme temperatures like you would find in Italy or Greece. A cooler temperature or a cooler climate rather kind of makes it um, a more enjoyable destination for a wider range of people. Some of our most popular cycling trips that our guests are booking there um, are on the peninsula. So the Dingle Peninsula, the Kerry Peninsula, the Ring of Kerry is a really popular loop ride that um, we've had a lot of guests booking last summer and this summer. Riding through the shadows of Ireland's highest mountains, you know, you can start and end in really iconic towns or a city such as Dublin. There's tons of options and the infrastructure is really great there as well. Um, so if you're thinking about uh, kind of escaping the, the peak summer heat in a cool destination Ireland is a great one whether you're hiking or biking another one would be Italy again we talked about Italy being quite hot during the summer months but if you want to be at higher elevations you know the Dolomites is a great option um, and there's a wealth of bike tours and road options here we've got some that start in Cortina, Dobiaco, Cilandro, whether you're looking to bike from Dolomites to Trieste, Dolomites to Lake Garda, Dolomites to Venice there are literally endless choices and I think Italian bike tours for the summer have got to be one of our you know best-selling kind of trip types overall and the nice thing is you know I mentioned earlier it's hard to get three nights in the same place in the Dolomites like it's it's really hard but on a bike you have a range and so you can string places together and find you know uh, the odd accommodation which makes it makes it doable the other thing also is when you're on a bike because you're moving you get a bit of a breeze and so I've cycled in 35 degree heat you got to take down a lot of fluids but it's not like hiking with a pack in 35 celsius heat which is really painful like you know it's it's not as bad if you're on a bike uh, just because you've got the constant air going by you, you, you still do an early morning ride and you take a, uh, it's an excuse for like a three hour lunch. That's like kind of the best thing. But, yeah. uh, and a cold yeah, beer. Yeah, cold beer or uh, a little gelato. <laughs> you know, how much gelato I've, I've had in <laughs> yeah. Italy as an excuse to take a break, I don't know. But Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess another, another thing to think about there would also be coastal rides. So riding on the coast, you've not only got, you know, the movement of the air while riding, but that breeze breeze coming off the coast on any coastal destinations is also great if you're on bike and then just jumping in the water that's like the best part yes. and anytime <laughs> anytime you can jump in a body of water that's not like freezing cold here in the Canadian Rockies I'll jump in the water but it's like even on the hottest day it's it's uh I remember jumping in Lake Magog which is below Canada's uh Mount Assiniboine which looks like the Matterhorn and it was like 37 C so we were just dying from the heat and we jumped in and we none of us could last more than about 90 seconds in the water um yeah so but how good did you feel when you got out just completely refreshed actually not that not that good we were freezing but compare it to you know if, if you're on the Mediterranean you come down you know, you you put your bike, someone watches the bikes and then everyone goes and jumps and you have like 20 minutes playing in the Mediterranean. That's like one of the best feelings in the world. You know, it just relaxes you, makes you feel great. And then, yeah, then you go for a great meal. It's just like the best way to break up a ride or, or end a ride. I think you've just described an ultimate summer memory in the making right there. That sounds like the perfect summer travel day to me. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, um. uh, it's nice. <laughs> 
lastly, in terms of biking in Europe, there were a couple of um, kind of unique bike paths. I mean, we all know of the Loire, the Danube, maybe biking the Camino de Santiago. These are all popular cycle paths that we think of um, when we think about biking in Europe. Um, but nothing says summer, in my opinion, like a river bike path ride. Um, I've got two kind of bike paths to share with you. Both of these, we've got guests um, departing on this summer. And uh, they're unique and kind of something a little different to think about if you like biking rivers in Europe. So the Vistula bike path is in Poland. It runs along Poland's longest river. Um, the whole path is around 1,200 kilometers, but obviously you can kind of do different sections. It's paved. There's really great dedicated cycle lanes. Um, in particular, I'm chatting with a guest right now who's looking to do a really cool stretch from Cacao to Warsaw, or Warsaw rather. And um, yeah, it's kind of something perhaps that our, our audience hasn't heard of if, if, if you're thinking of a bike path in Europe. Another one is the Moselle cycle path in Germany. We've got some guests that are departing on that in a couple of months as well. It's a really nice and flat leisurely ride. So if you're looking kind of something easy and leisurely on two wheels, nothing too intense, it's the perfect ride for summer. You pass through some really beautiful wine villages, vineyards, obviously like pastoral countryside, um, goes through a couple of states in Germany and is a really cool and uh, neat little trip. And I think what makes makes those locations so special is it is a dedicated bike lane in a lot of cases. I know in Germany they're famous that it is literally you're not the only time you're interacting with with automobiles is when you're getting off you know the bike the bike route to get to your hotel or your B and B. Which like I do a lot of cycling, but I hate riding on busy roads. I know some people Don't can handle all. it, but <laughs> but I hate it. And the worst is when you're riding those massive lorries go by and they suck you in and then push you push you out. Uh, uh, it's terrible. And so if you just want to ride your bike and enjoy it and not have to be constantly checking your shoulder and you know tensing up when you hear a big engine, being on one of these bike paths is just spectacular. Just to like totally relax and enjoy the bike ride um, which makes it just so nice not having that stress of the ride I completely agree and another point to add there is also those dedicated cycle paths are great for families that are looking to cycle together in the summer because you don't want to be on busy roads when you've got your kids trailing behind you on a trailer or on a bike themselves so um, if you're looking to plan a summer family bike tour then you know these kind of destinations with dedicated cycle paths in Europe are a really good fit so we've talked a lot about Europe and it's funny, you know, that's where most people want to go. I'm not sure, you know, I, I was the same way uh, during the pandemic. We all said, oh, I want to get to Europe. I want to have the culture, the food, the beautiful environment. Um, but let's shift from Europe because there's lots of other places in the world to go. And let's look a little bit about here in North America. What are some kind of epic destinations to look at for people that, you know, are they either in North America and don't want to deal with the higher affairs to get to Europe or in Europe and, you know, want to come here and explore North America. That's it. Those are both great examples of, um, you know, ways that you can explore North America, whether it's exploring your own backyard and not going too far from home or coming over here from Europe or elsewhere in the world. There are a wealth of uh, summer adventure and travel opportunities. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased being from Canada myself. I might hype these ones up a lot, but um, no, I do think the credit is due as there are some really, really cool trip ideas uh, to enjoy in the summer months. Obviously, uh, travel to parts of North America, most of North America at least, um, is not exactly ideal for, uh, you know, hiking and biking in the winter months. So if you are interested in hiking and biking, um, for the vast majority of us, summer is going to be the season to do that. So we've got quite a ton of uh, hiking and camping trips in the Canadian Rockies. So that's Alberta. One thing that's neat about these is they're beginner friendly. So we've got a lot of solo travelers that perhaps don't have, um, uh, hiking companions, whether it be a spouse or friends that want to go with them, but they want to join a mixed group and they may be a beginner hiker. Um, what's neat about a lot of those guided trips is there's often two guides and they will split the group into those that want to do a more difficult route and those that want to kind of do a beginner friendly easy route. And that makes it a really accessible trip for everyone. So if you kind of want to get your feet wet, I'd say the Canadian Rockies in terms of hiking is the best place to do that. Whether you've done hiking trips before or you haven't, um, there's lots of options here ranging from you know difficult to right down to beginner friendly which is nice you know one thing I remember talking to one of the guides on those trips about 
And, uh, you know, you can stay in hotels, but they also have uh, options where you stay in the campgrounds. And a lot of the guests had always dreamed of sleeping under the stars, having the campfire, but they didn't know how to do it. And, and it's funny, growing up in the Rockies, I don't remember a time when I didn't know how to put up a tent or build a campfire. But And, and sometimes I just assume everyone had that. But for most people, you know, you can't kind of sleep in the forest, you know, looking out at these beautiful lakes. And uh, he said a big part of it is, yeah, the hiking's great, the experience is great, but it's also like people learn how to make their first campfire. They learn how to set up a tent. They have this incredible experience of, you know, being able to look up and see, you know, see the stars at night. And uh, I hadn't realized how much of a draw that was for people. Absolutely. And we, you, like you said, I think we kind of take it for granted here because we all grew up hiking on the weekends and camping and pitching a tent and making a fire. But for those that don't grow up doing that or haven't done that in their adult life, it's a really special, iconic experience. And so um, I think, yeah, beyond the, the natural beauty and the, the activities during the day, you also get to sleep in a tent and wake up, you know, in the middle of nature. And I always say I get the best sleeps when I'm sleeping in a tent, always. <laughs> <laughs> um, backpacking is another great way to explore um, North America during the summer months. We've got some really nice short backpacking trips under a week. Um, a couple of those being the Skokie Circuit, Mount Assiniboine, Yosemite Falls in the U.S. Um, I think we've got, yeah, probably over 20 different or 15 at least different backpacking trips that you can do in North America. Um, and they all do tend to be quite short trips, um, which is nice if you're planning some extended travels in North America. Maybe you're doing something on your own and you want to do a four or five day backpacking trip to really get an authentic experience. Um, those are great to think about. For those that like the water, there's sea kayaking in Quebec's fjords. Really cool and unique way to experience the Canadian summer. Um, from a different perspective on the water, canoeing, Big Salmon River in northern Canada, one of my absolute favorite summer activities in Canada growing up and still to this day is canoe trips. And so again, if you're, if you're looking to do a canoeing trip and you don't have uh, people to do it with, though that's another example of a, a scheduled group departure that you could join others in a mixed group to uh, experience that together. Um, a really cool and popular trip that we have is road biking from Jasper to Banff. That's another group tour quick and easy for well not necessarily easy it's a, I think a moderate to challenging trip <laughs> um, but quick I would say in that it's only four days um, and that's a really iconic ride I, I know you're really familiar with that area and the scenery is just spectacular right yeah yeah they say it's one of the most beautiful uh, roads on earth and uh, we drive that road once a year. I've ridden most parts of it, but I've never actually done the route contiguously. I've always been like, you know, drive out and, you know, you ride up 50 or 60 kilometers and ride back to the car. And um, yeah, there's some some big passes to go there. But the best part of that trip, because actually I shadowed that trip for for a day, is every two hours, the van set up with water, Gatorade, food. Yes. replenish. <laughs> like all you have on your bike is like you have a couple couple bananas, you know, and like a, a repair kit. You have walkie-talkies if you need assistance. And so, you know, doing these things yourself, you got all this gear you're carrying. But when you can ride that road just like on your road bike and you can make good time, it is such a great experience. And then every night you have these big, big, big meals. So it's like it's like the most luxurious way to travel because you don't have to do anything. You just kind of show up. Somebody's made breakfast. You know, you show up, there's snacks. You show up, there's lunch. And all you got to focus on is just riding your bike. Talking about a carefree summer, you know, that's a carefree trip there. You just know you get on your bike and you ride to the next destination and you take it all in and that's all you have to worry about. Yeah, I think uh, fully supported bike tours are, are amazing in that, as in that regard. Um, another popular type of trip that uh, is really quite, I'd say, taking off in North America would be self-drive tours. So as you know, Richard, we've had a ton of guests booking self-drive tours in Canada this summer. Um, Newfoundland on Canada's East Coast has been a really, really popular destination for self-drive tours. You know, you could do a camper van tour in Quebec. We've got a few self-drive tours in Vancouver and the Rocky Mountains. So it really you know, regardless of where you want to explore in Canada, a self-drive tour is an amazing way to do that. You've got the framework, so you've got your accommodations figured out, usually breakfast is included every day, you've got your road book so you know where to drive, car rental, another example of a carefree trip, you kind of just show up and, and fill your days with activities, you know, maybe you've added some excursions or you're planning your own activities, whether it be hiking or biking in locations, but you've got the framework figured out. And so, 
Um, for those that love, you know, independent travel, I'd say self-drive tours are a really great, great way to see a lot of a place, um, you know, over a week or a, or two week period. I love the idea of self-drives and uh, uh, we have one in Chile that has been on my list for a while and just. Uh... Yes, yes. We just booked some guests on a self-drive tour in Chile and Patagonia. Actually, they're doing 17 days in November and oh gosh, the, the trip envy I've been having putting that together for them. <laughs> The Carretera Austral, which kind of goes up through Patagonia and up into Aysen. And yeah, I, I just, uh, I'm super jealous. Let's move on and talk a little bit about summer. You know, we're already talking about, you know, Patagonia. Patagonia is not a great place to go in the North American summer uh, because it, it's, it's really snowy there. But are there some places in the Southern uh, Hemisphere that you recommend? Yes, absolutely. So um, we've talked about kind of reversing the seasons. If you're looking to head to winter during our summer in another country, um, think of the southern, or southern rather, not southern hemisphere. So heading south of the equator. In terms of South America, uh, you can look to trek in Peru. You've got, you know, any trekking around Cusco in terms of the Inca Trail, Salcante or Lares, the Rainbow Mountain Trek. April no to November is really the time to think about doing that. And so we've got, um, you know, during those peak summer months, a ton of scheduled groups that are going on these trips. And uh, if you don't have anyone to travel with, those are really great to join into. Um, the Cordillera Huaywash mountain chain in the Peruvian Andes, May to September is the best time to hike there. I'd say this is our probably our most popular request that we get next to um, sort of hiking around Cusco in Peru. Really great opportunities, whether you want to book a private guide for just your group or whether you want to join a scheduled departure and meet other like-minded travelers. Some really great hiking opportunities here um, during the summer months as well. And obviously May to September and incorporating a little bit of spring and early fall. Uh, biking and trekking in Ecuador is also a great option to think about in the summer. Uh, the Ecuadorian Andes, volcano treks, there's some really cool um, itineraries there again, both guided and um, our scheduled groups. And one that I'm super excited to chat about is Australia because we've just released some new tours there. Um, a really cool, diverse range of trips from bird watching, wildlife safari, photographies, fishing, great white shark tours, you name it. Um, the adventure awaits in Australia and I know that our whole team is super excited to finally have this epic country on our, our trip roster and can't wait to start send some, sending some guests there. Yeah, what I think is really interesting is Australia is really working hard to uh, focus on kind of like these idea of mini safaris. So really connect with Australian nature and biodiversity. And, um, you know, when I, when I think of Australia, I, I kind of think of like the coastal areas and these beach towns and surfing. Um, but there's also a tremendous variety of diversity in the oceans that you can go and see as well as, you know, there's so many different regions, you know, from east to west, north to south in, in Australia and then the interior that it's really cool when you just realize like you can have a bunch of mini safaris and see different parts of Australia that, you know, they're never on kind of the standard tourist trail that goes, you know, goes to Sydney, goes to Melbourne, goes to Brisbane, you know, the Gold Coast. Um, so I think those are, those are really, really cool options. As you said, you know, even in, you know, Northern hemisphere summer, it's still pretty warm if you get north and, you know, far enough north in Australia. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. And that's a really great point to kind of think outside of the box when we think of Australia. I too think of a, a beach destination or surfing or something like that, but there really is so much more to do there. Um, so Perhaps we move on to a couple more continents in terms of ex uh, summer exploration. Yeah, I'm interested in Africa as well. You know, uh, it's, uh, I know summers, you start to get some of the safaris that, you know, they're in season, but I'm also interested about trekking Kili because I've had three people talk to me about Kili in the last couple of weeks, just asking questions. And I wasn't sure what the best, like, I know you can trek it all year round, but I wasn't sure what it, what's Kili like in summer. Summer is a great time to trek Kili. We've actually just booked uh, a couple days ago, booked a guest who's climbing the Makame route. It's a popular time to climb Kili. I know that you can do it all year round, but weather is really 
uh, quite ideal um, during the summer months there. Obviously not too warm at those high elevations um, and uh, a good amount of people there. So if you're looking to join a summer or a group departure rather, summer is when we're going to see those trips that are mostly confirmed with a full group um, of like-minded travelers that you can join. Uh, on Killy, there's a ton of different options with different routes, different trip lengths that you can do. Um, and I think that, again, thinking of one of those carefree trips where everything's figured out for you, um, it's really the whole package with Killy. And you've got the peace of mind uh, that you're, you're trekking with professional mountain guides. You've got all of the safety equipment that you need. You don't have to worry about food or anything like that. It's all prepared for you. Um, and it makes it one of those kind of carefree trips where you can just go and focus on, you know, doing something really special. I think Killy is definitely on a ton of people's bucket lists um, and for good reason. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You mentioned a little bit earlier um, safari trips. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, the best time to visit Southern Africa is during the dry season. And that is actually between May and October. So um, we know Botswana, Namibia, South Africa, Zimbabwe. These are all incredible countries for spotting wildlife, that iconic African wildlife. Um, the best way to do that is on safari. And so if you're looking to do a safari trip, um, the summer months are a great, a great time to do that during the dry season. Again, it's going to be hot, but um, if you can manage that and I know they kind of plan the, the game drives around that when I was in in Africa we'd go early in the morning or a little later in the evening that type of thing to kind of beat the heat um, but definitely something to think about as well as in Africa heading north we can't forget Morocco so trekking in Morocco's Atlas Mountains I was wondering if you're going to mention Morocco because yes. it's a great time to get into the mountains it really is so um, Morocco's iconic Atlas Mountains obviously we've got the highest peak in North Africa there Mount Tube Call. As you know, Richard, we're working with a group right now who's planning to trek um, Mount Tube Call and explore the Sahara in September. Um, but summer, whether you're looking to trek or whether you're looking to mountain bike in the Atlas Mountains of Morocco, great time to think about doing that. I uh, actually spent my honeymoon in Morocco and it, it's a great place to explore. And, you know, it's kind of like a way to get something different that's still, you know, uh, easy to get to close to Europe. Uh, we've left We've left one place, Asia, uh, I know, I know, you know, Nepal, that is, you know, people are asking Everest, can I do it in summer? You know, you got to wait till October, November to do that. But uh, what are some places to explore in Asia in summer? Yeah, so if you're looking for some summer destinations in Asia, um, I've got a couple to share with you. Indonesia, um, the best time to travel to, to Indonesia is between April and October. And this is when the weather is the most warm and pleasant. Um, of course, you can travel here all year long, but it tends to be rainier during that period from November to March. So summer's a great destination um, to visit uh, Indonesia. And again, I think when, when a lot of people think Indonesia, Java, Bali, they're thinking beach vacations, but there is a ton of adventure opportunity here as well whether you're gonna you know track Mount Rinjani um, discover the sites of Bali and Java in terms of their cultural and historical sites you can go to the jungles and beaches of northern Sumatra whether it's trekking or doing a family adventure there's just a ton of opportunity here to get off the beaten path and kind of ditch those main tourist gabs where you know you're just going to spend the week on a beach and you could be anywhere really there's so much to explore here that it's a shame to not really dig into it while you're there and so um, I'd say Indonesia is a great summer destination for all. Another one and this is kind of a recent ad for us is um, Sri Lanka. So the best time to visit Sri Lanka is between May and September. Um, it's the prime season for viewing a ton of wildlife here. Uh, another good thing to think about with this is soft adventure. So um, if you're not looking to do something hardcore in terms of trekking um, or biking, there's a lot of opportunities here for cultural sight sightseeing and wildlife viewing. If that's something that you're interested in, a different kind of trip, a little bit of a slower pace, um, great guided itineraries here that are also perfect for families. And then lastly, Japan. Um, we've got some really cool uh, cycling itineraries in Japan for those that want to hop on the bike and explore um, with a guide on two wheels. It's a great spot to be from May to October in terms of um, in terms of biking. And I know you were recently in Japan, Richard, correct? Uh, recently in Japan and actually just recently did a podcast with a fellow that's cycling the length of Japan on a uh, like one of those Dutch bikes with the you know the little basket up front and uh, yeah just he's actually in uh, a city where we were I think like seven weeks ago to the day so uh, really cool to hear his story and uh, 
yeah, he's just always wanted to go to Japan, but he didn't want to rush himself. So he decided he's going to spend three months just cycling, you know, 30 to 50 kilometers a day. And uh, yeah, he says it's an incredible infrastructure. One thing that I liked was uh, if a cyclist is hit, the driver of the car or the vehicle is always at fault. So he says it's the most respectful drivers he's ever seen. That is so interesting. I had no idea. Yeah, I, I, and I, I suspect Japanese cyclists are also very well behaved. Like, you know, here in Canada, you see cyclists doing crazy things. But I thought, oh, how would life change being a cyclist if, you know, all of us cyclists were better behaved, first of all, but then also all the drivers had to be, you know, better behaved as well. So uh, I. Oh, that does kind of give you peace of mind when biking there. So those looking for a really safe uh, bike tour in the summer, Japan is your destination. Uh, yeah, with great, great food as well. <laughs> great food as well. And a really, really cool cultural experience there as well. Uh, and then one thing you did mention was that was uh, trekking in the Himalaya. I know there are parts uh, of India and Pakistan where the Himalaya doesn't have the monsoon in summer. I forget where they are, but I remember talking with one of our guests, I think it was last year, and uh, his comment was kind of from, you know, uh, spring to autumn, there's always a part of the Himalaya that is open and available and it's not in monsoon. So uh, that's an option as well. If you want to do something incredible, you aren't just limited to, you know, this May, October, November, like you are in, in Nepal. There's different different times and places to go in uh, in India and Pakistan as well. Absolutely. And that's kind of, you know, it's all just about reaching out and seeing what your options are. So if places aren't coming to mind, um, definitely reach out. That's that's what it's all about here at Ten Adventures. We've got kind of the the knowledge. Our team has traveled all over the world. So if, if I haven't been there, then someone on our team has likely been there and we can kind of share our firsthand experience with you and make sure that you're getting the, the trip that's right for you in the summer months. Nadine, thanks for sharing all this today. Literally, there's like 10... 10 trips that either we're thinking about <laughs> or we've talked about uh, that you mentioned today. So there's just so many incredible uh, opportunities. And, you know, thanks for sharing all your wisdom. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. Thanks, Richard. And I guess next we'll be connecting on uh, autumn destinations. Yeah, it's going to be autumn. It's Yeah, we just realized it's, we're doing <laughs> this, this podcast in June. And it's like, man, it's going to be first snow in the Rockies in like yep. 12 weeks, 13 or 14 weeks. That's it. <laughs> um, I'm going to put links to the trips, some of the trips Nadine mentioned in the show notes. So if you want to check out more, you can log on there. You can just go on 10adventures.com and you can search by continent, country, or even subregion. So you can find all the different tours in the Amalfi Coast or all the different Caminos, for, for example. Uh, and with that, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures on the 10 Adventures podcast. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures.